Hi guys, welcome back to my Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Nen. Today is another fantastic day. We are live, we're kicking and we are sober. And today is an even better day because I've got Jennifer Balamo with me. Jennifer is a, uh, a woman who works with teenagers and indeed is part of a recovery high school. Now, those of you who have listened to me for a while, you will hear in at least every other uh, interview that I say, oh God, I so wish that there is a mandatory one month rehab stint for every 16 year old as part of school where they learn these kind of things. And I always thought that is utopia. And here I have got Jennifer with me, who works in exactly such an outfit. I'm dead excited. Good morning or good, good afternoon to you. It is fantastic to have you here, Jennifer. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Wow. How did you get into a recovery high school? And I guess when we ask that question, you, you can imagine, oh, hang on, it's, you know, what is your own story? What is your own link with this, this alcohol and with medications and drugs and things like that? Uh, tell us a little bit about you. Okay. So I am a person in long-term recovery. And what that means for me is I haven't had a drink or a drug since March 26th of 1999. Wow. Um, a little bit of my background, I, I've been a florist for 30 years. I know that seems really weird. Um, but uh, about 13, 14 years ago, um, I decided to, to switch up careers and um, go into social work. And so I started working at a drug and alcohol treatment center, and I worked with adolescents. Um, we were in a program where I was heavily involved in the community with the students, and um, after being there for 11 years, I lost my job. And I started working at Whole Foods, which is a, um, a organic um, health store here in uh, the US. And I was working there for several years, learning about nutrition and recovery. And a friend of mine that I had stayed connected with through the social work um, got a hold of me and said that they were opening a recovery high school and she wanted me to come and be the recovery coach. And I had heard about these schools years ago when I was working at the treatment center and said, why don't we have one of these in Ohio? Um, these schools have been around since 1986, but Ohio's never had one. And so this was, this is the first one that they opened up in Ohio and uh, that was in July of 2018, and the rest is history. I've been here and helped them get the school opened up. Um, we're in our second year. We officially opened in uh, 2019 and had our first school year. This is our second school year. It looks a lot different because of COVID. Um, you know, we're, we're, we had to switch up the way we're doing things, but we're still thriving, and we still have students, you know, that... Um, so with our school, we have students that are in all different places. Some are still struggling. Some are in contemplation. Some are on the path of recovery already. Um, you know, we have all different different ebbs and flows with the students. And it's, um, it's a dream job, really. When people say, what do you do? I'm like, I got a dream job. Because, 
you know, not only do I get to live in recovery and, and teach recovery, but I get paid for it. It's pretty amazing. Like I couldn't ask for anything better. So that's, that's, that's beautiful. it. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, it's interesting. Can we talk a bit figures, please? The, for me, the question is how many teenagers are out there in the United States who are uh, misusing <clears throat> alcohol and drugs? Have you yeah. got a grasp on those figures? I don't have a grasp on those figures. Um, that's, that's one of those things that's really hard to um, put into figures. You know, they, they say that 82% of kids will try drugs or alcohol before they graduate from high school. Um, but as far as like how many have crossed over into dependence or addiction, I don't have figures on that. Because it's, it's really hard to, you know, it, it, a lot of these come from self-report and a lot of kids are not going to say, yeah, I'm addicted. You know, my daughter, I have a daughter that's in middle school and they, they do these statistics and they ask the kids and the kids just aren't that honest. Because I think if they were that honest, if they were really honest about it, the numbers would be a lot higher than what they are. In the UK, they do uh, regular... Um snap polls kind of a thing and they have been for the last oh, probably two decades something like that and it's amazing there that the figure of the, the guys between uh, 18 and 24 that have used hard drugs i mean class a that the heroin the cocaine those kind of things are typically and constantly throughout the years about 10 11 percent and that is that they have used them in the last in the last year so one in ten young persons does admit there that they yeah. are in a regular or use they are regular using and have using um uh, hard drugs now that's just the hard drugs the alcohol is bring that up and the weird thing is i mean we we have got such arbitrary uh, measures what what is an alcoholic what is who is who is someone who is in trouble and doctors give you sort of different things if you're a girl more than 14 uh, standard drinks a, uh, a week as a boy, 21. But that's all arbitrary. Uh, many people say, oh, but I don't drink at all during the week. And then on the weekend, they get hammered and do all the, the, the bad things. So, so there's so many different forms of drinking. But I think mm -hmm. it is, A, it's a given that our youngsters with all the exposure to social media and to to the life that they are living nowadays, there's so much increased pressure on them, often self mm -hmm. self inflicted pressure. Therefore, far more a tendency to try to to adhere to the norm of I'm having a good time. Look, I'm grown up. I'm drinking. And then, right. of course, coming to the point now with COVID, even more anxiety, even more fears, mm -hmm. etc. Mm -hmm. And yeah. certainly in many other countries, the, the amount of abuse of drugs and alcohol is going through the roof. The incidence of suicide uh, is going up. You've got so many, many flow-on mm -hmm. effects that we only just start to see and appreciate. 
So right. I think uh, the reason I'm, I'm summarizing that a little bit is that uh, kids have always been in trouble, and it's but it's it's really the most recent generation who really is is seemingly increasingly vulnerable or increasingly yeah. exposed um, yes. to to a lack of coping mechanisms. And that's where I find it so amazing. So I had no idea. You were saying 1986 was yes. the first recovery high school uh, that was founded. In Is that a 12-step-based a, uh, a program? Or who came we out are. of that? We are. We're, we're abstinent-based, 12-step-based. Um, we do offer other pathways, so I've been trained in smart recovery. Um, we we have a Buddhist pathway, an American Indian pathway. Um, you know, we we have many different pathways, but we are twelve step based because here um, I don't know about you guys in New Zealand, but I know here we have MA meetings, which is Marijuana Anonymous, CA meetings, Cocaine Anonymous, right. AA. Um, NA, I mean, we've, we've even got Gambling Anonymous, um, Sex Addiction Anonymous. You know, we've, we've just got so many 12-step based um, because generally speaking, not always, but a lot of the kids end up having more than one issue. You know, like they might have um, an eating disorder along with uh, a, a drug addiction um, they may have sex addiction or gambling addiction along with their drug addiction or their alcoholism. And so, you know, we find that the 12-step base is the most readily available and the easiest to comprehend for adolescents. Um, I do have to break some of the stuff down because some of the old, you know, especially with AA, you know, they have a lot of um, old language um, that can be a little bit of a barrier but I'm, I'm able to help the kids with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, no, that's beautiful. Uh, and it is, it is a problem. The AA was founded in, in 1930s uh, and it was founded in the United States. At that time, what was a good salesman to do? Well, he uses, of course, the word God and, and that kind of whole thing, because that's right. what gives you guy, uh, buy-in into into your your system uh because uh, the founders they realized they had something there that worked because they were mm -hmm. themselves heavy alcoholics and they got their shit together so they thought well actually if we can do right. that you know that's let's do that for more people and they needed to have to buy in so there came god but uh, in in my book my, my steps to sobriety i actually discussed that and for me god can be a group of orderly drunks or a group of druggies. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. So what, what kind of acronyms right. do you use? What, how do you explain it to a teenager, uh, the language? Well, he, Give me some yeah, examples. That's, that's pretty much the same things that I say. You know, yeah. um, when, when I did get sober, um, you know, I, I was not raised in Christianity at all. I was raised in um, Zen and uh, in, in Buddhism. And so... It was it was a little bit weird and hard for me when when I got sober, and so I feel like I have that gift for a lot of these kids because some of them have Christianity based, but the majority of them, you know, they've just been so hurt and and unheard, 
and, you know, they've been using so long that even if they came from a Christianity background, they're not connected at all. And uh, so, you know, the good orderly direction is one that we use. Um, a group of drunks, that's a good one. Um, group of druggies. Uh, you know, we we just tell them that God can be anything that you want it to be. You know, it can be this this group of your your peers. Um, you know, when when I got sober, um, my sponsor told me that you know she gave me a feely rock, and and for the longest time that was my God because I could take it. It was tangible for me. I could put it in my pocket. I could take it everywhere with me. You know, and. And then eventually I got a, a, a solid coin, um, not just the plastic ones, you know, a solid coin. And, and I would use that. And I still have one of the coins that was given to me by an old timer. And it actually has the, the thumb like <laughs> on it. It's so cool because it's gone through several people, you know, and they always oh. have it. And uh, so it has all of that energy in it from from other people that stayed sober for a long time. So it's my favorite coin. Wow. Um, but uh, but yeah. So you know, it, it can be anything. I mean, they they told us it could be a tree. You know, if you're if you're a tree hugger, you can hug your God daily. Um, <laughs> but you can you you can pretty much use anything. Oh, that's right. And, and for those of you who are not in, and not not exposed to the AA system and to the, the whole uh, structured belief there, basically the the God in AA means it's a power that is outside of yourself. It means that there is a force bigger than you. And whilst you have tried absolutely everything. Um, or not, for that matter. Um, that is, whatever you've done so far, you have not succeeded. So it's time to actually put whatever you have tried so far, uh, put that aside, and actually listen to what has worked for millions of other people. And for that, you need to accept that there's a greater power out there, uh, something that you don't know. So as simple as that, and that's that's the 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 big realization. And once you can jump over to God, that's so important because in my rehab, exactly the same thing. I struggled a little bit with it because I'm certainly not religious, and and there is, as far as I'm concerned, there is no deity out there that is um, that I would call God, uh, but. There you are. Once I actually made the jump to realize, okay, this is the power of those people who got sober and now are handing down to me that knowledge, skills, what worked for them, uh, you know, I would be stupid not to listen. And that was the, the acceptance, the submission right. to God, the, the, the willingness of myself to open up my mind and shutting my mouth and listen. And I think that's what this is all about. So guys, don't get too hung up now about this this, this yeah. God thing there. And yeah, it, 12, was, it was really hard for me too, because, you know, following a Buddhist path hmm. in Buddhism, they believe that your higher self is, and they also believe in many gods, the God of the goddess of compassion, the God of forgiveness, the God of, you know, they, so they believe in many gods. They don't believe in one God. Hmm. And they also believe that your higher power is your higher self. 
And so going into this program and having to admit that there's a power greater than me is the total opposite of what I was taught. And so it was definitely challenging. But, um, you know, now they have so many different, there's actually a book called The 12 Steps to Recovery Through Buddhism. And it, it takes the 12 steps of AA and, and converts it into Buddhism so that it's understandable for people. So, you know, they've, they've come a long way. They didn't have all that. You know, I've been um, clean and, and sober for 21 years and they did not have that stuff back then, but I'm very glad that they have it now. <laughs> Well, exactly. This is, no, you're absolutely right. Sorry, just reaching down here. Uh, my Steps to Sobriety in my book, um, it is in there. I've put essentially the, the system as a, as a failed business uh, down. Imagine that, that you have got a, a friend who has got a restaurant. You have got a restaurant. Your restaurant is, is absolutely buzzing. Everyone is in your restaurant. And in his, there are a few tumbleweeds rolling through. And one day he <laughs> says, hey, look, I mean, I don't understand it. You're doing so well. I do so poorly. Look, can, can we have a chat? Can we have a coffee? And then I just said, yeah, okay, of course. And so I might go across to him and sit down in the front and order a few items from the menu, look at the menu, look around, see what the staff does, etc. have a taste of the food, then go behind the scenes, have a look through his kitchen, see what he does, what he doesn't do, etc. So I take an inventory of what's, what he does and what he doesn't. And then thereafter, I might make some suggestions, some little changes here or there, what works for you, and then work on these strengths and what doesn't work for you or does no longer work for you, um, then chuck that out. And then down the line, once we have got sort of tidied up your, your restaurant, then we might say, well, okay, now let's do a marketing campaign and actually go out to the people and say, look, guys, we have had a bit of a rough rough ride and we are so pleased that you're still with us here and as a uh, as a sorry and as a thank you to you for coming back to us we give you 30% off and uh, we've got our new menu there that no no doubt will tantalize your taste buds and um, so that's that with that we have made amends so that's the, the step eight and nine and down the line we do quality assurance and we'll reflect uh is i think still running the right way and then maybe at one stage my friend will actually say wow this was such a cool cool journey there from from near bankruptcy to now a beautiful restaurant that that he is proud of and he might say wow I, guess what i'll do a facebook group for failed restaurateurs or I actually have a, a, a monthly meeting where people can come in and just talk to me and 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 reflect with me and learn from me. That all sounds logical, doesn't it? That's how Absolutely. you would how you would go about yeah. to with a friend. Yet yeah. what I've described to you is is, is exactly the twelve step program. And so right. therefore, if you now imagine that your that your business that your restaurant is actually your life and you do mm -hmm. exactly the same approach to your life see what actually works for you and see what maybe uh, has accumulated that doesn't work so well for you and you want to get rid of it 
And then you check out what do other people do when they want to stay safe and sober and clean. And so you learn their micro habits and big habits. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly you are on your path to being this new fantastic person that you can be where you simply have no room for drugs, where no, right. there is no room for alcohol. And how cool is that? Yeah. So, so that's 12 steps in a nutshell, guys. Don't get hung up on God. Don't get hung up on, on any myths or crap you hear about the program. Um, it is, in its, in its core, the, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. And you are living it, Jennifer. I mean, here you are. Um, Jennifer got her shit together. Um, and <laughs> when was that when you, when you made that switch? How, how young were you in 1999? I was, I was 26 years old. That's yeah. Cool. And when did you start drinking? Oh, I had my first bit of alcohol at the age of seven. But I think I probably started drinking pretty regularly at 15. Yeah. It's not an uncommon thing. So you had 11 years in which you did not deal with negative emotions, right. in which you tried right. to drown your sorrows and certainly not did do any, any personal development, regardless of Zen as a background or not. Uh, I, I simply postulate that you are like so many of us who use alcohol rather than other coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. Am I on the money there? Am I am I right? Oh, oh, definitely, definitely, yeah. And but then it's amazing. So one day something happened. What was the catalyst for you? What changed um, you? The, the judge. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah. Okay, that would work for most people. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I stood in front of a judge, and he he gave me a choice. He said, "You can either get sober and." get your shit together or you can do this time that I'm setting on the shelf. You can, you can serve that time in prison. So I was like, okay, you know, um, I was, I was one of those people that was a repeat, uh, drinker and driver. Uh, oh, I was 26 years old and had several DUIs and, um, you know, possession charges and distributing and, you know, they, I remember after I was about a year sober, I went to get my license reinstated and the woman called me out of line and she said, do you know why I called you out of line? I said, no, I don't know. She said, I had to see what kind of a young lady had a record like this. And she held her arm up and my, all of my pages went all the way to the floor and was still folded over. <laughs> <laughs> and, she, and she was like, oh, my goodness. I said, well, I, I'm glad to tell you that I am clean and sober and I have been for a year now. And she's like, oh, thank God. She was so freaked out. And, I, you know, I hadn't realized that that I was I, I, I mean, to, to look at me, I, I was I was um, what's the word I'm looking for? It was a. Uh, it was just strange because, you know, through all of my pain and trying to drown my sorrow and drown all this stuff, I still volunteered. I, I worked for a crisis hotline volunteering on the teen suicide line, which was crazy because I wanted to end my life daily. Um, I wanted to help other people not end their life. Um, you know, I was, I was still a straight A student. And then in my later years, I didn't miss a day of work in 10 years. I was like, employee of the month, 
top seller. It was just crazy, but I was so, I was so lost and, and that my self-hatred went so deep that there were days that I would wake up and I was just so angry that I even woke up. And so it was, it was an anomaly really that I did so many good things simultaneously while I was in so much pain. It was weird. It was weird. Self-destruction, isn't it? To, mm-hmm. to self-loathing. And it yeah. is so, it's so common. It's so common. And it is, it is what it is. And because it is so common, we need to accept that as the norm. These voices that give you that crap and, and want to dress you down. And if you really start believing them and, and get stuck in that rut, my goodness. Uh, and I think that's the, the key thing to, to work with yourself and do those things where you can be proud of and actually to nurture that, that, wow, this, this, ah, the little things, okay, for you as an alcoholic to get up in the morning, to actually have a healthy breakfast, to actually be on time. Now, you were quite an exception. You were truly a high-functioning alcoholic in the, right. in the, in the, right. best, in the best thing. Often enough, alcoholics are not. Okay? They, are, they are, you know, things are spiraling sooner rather than later out of control. Um, but having said that, that we, we don't need to be down out face in the gutter uh to be to coming to a point where we where we understand enough is enough there are many out there who would call themselves not quite addicted but mm-hmm. in reality between you and me if you were to sit down right. with them yeah. right. so guys if you're listening here because you're not quite addicted welcome you're exactly in the right place well it's, <laughs> it's the four horsemen that are that's in the big book, you know, it talks about that. The four horsemen, the four different kinds of drinkers, you know, there's the binge drinker, there's the, the, the daily drinker that, you know, if you're only drinking two beers a day, but you're drinking every single day, that's definitely an issue. If you're, if you, you know, tell people that I I only drink on the weekends, but when you do drink, you drink to oblivion. Well, that's an issue, you know, so there's different, there's different um, types of, of alcoholism. And, and yes, I was high functioning in it. And I know now that all roads led to where I'm at and the job that I'm doing, because I think that it's so important, especially working with teenagers, because a lot of these teenagers don't have low bottoms. You know, a lot of these teenagers just got in trouble at school or, you know, got dealing or, or having or smoking in school and, and they got kicked out. And so it's hard for them to say that, you know, well, I've got a problem because they haven't gone to prisons yet. They haven't, you know, that was one of the things when I was 26 years old, I said, well, I can't be an alcoholic because I haven't lost a husband. I haven't lost my children. I haven't lost a home. Um, I haven't lost a job. I haven't lost any of that stuff. And, and, you know, the job is really the only thing that I ever had because at 26, I'd never been married. I never owned a home. I didn't have any children. So, you know, it's really hard to lose things that you never had to begin with. I wasn't, that wasn't the message I was giving myself. I was giving myself the message that, that I didn't lose any of these things. And so 
I couldn't possibly be an alcoholic. And I was too young, you know, 26 years old, that's too young. And what I didn't know was that my frontal lobe right at 26 was just starting to close and develop. Um, uh, People, a lot of people don't know that the frontal lobe, which is the impulsivity and and the the reactive um, part of the brain isn't fully developed until 26 years old. So if you're putting substances in your body before the age of 26, you're you're making it almost impossible. You're you're making arrested development. You you can't develop properly. Um, and you know, by the time I was 15, I was assaulted and had a, my first traumatic brain injury. At 19, I was in a terrible car accident, drinking and driving, and was got another traumatic brain injury. Both those times, I was in comas, and so I already my development was already very low. And adding the substances in there just made, you know, I I mean, I was a 26-year-old in like a nine-year-old's mind. I was very immature and and just didn't know how to function. You know, it's literally taken me 21 years to grow up and become an adult um, by not putting substances in my body. But you are living proof that you can do that. And mm-hmm. indeed, it is, I know exactly what you were saying. This, this opportunity to grow up once you stop using, once you stop drinking, is, is mind-blowing. The journey that you guys can go on to and will go on to with a little bit of a nudging in the right direction is, is literally mind-blowing. And I, I, yeah, for me, it was, I had lost myself pretty much as a man and I was only defining myself by work, 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 work. Mm -hmm. And it was, yeah, it took me about a year of, of sobriety to start, to start finding myself. And nowadays I'm, I'm going all out, uh, no bars hold, it's just, having a ball of a time and having such a productive and creative life. It is wonderful. It's wonderful, wonderful. And so it's, and I say that again and again, not to say, wow, hi, look, I'm so good. No, it means that if I can do that, you can do that. Okay. There is, there is the past does not equal the future. You are, you have got the, the, the opportunity to make choices every moment in your life and so guys uh, listen to jennifer she did it i did it we both did it with 12 steps but there are other programs like smart recovery and guests from that system on there there are many other ways so in it's not really a uh what shall i say there is no excuse not to 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 at least try and see how any of these systems works for you, just as much as you have no hesitation of putting a tablet or whatever you get from you from the the nice friendly man in the discotheque or in, in wherever you get your your bits from, um, the you don't know what you're taking uh, because he tells you, "Oh, this is good shit," and you say, "Oh yeah, I want that." Uh, down you go. Well. You know, if you're so willing to try everything, well, why not try one of these systems? Why not, you know, why not try to find uh, a meeting close to you? And guess what? With Zoom, they're everywhere. 
everywhere if you can watch this youtube mm -hmm. video there you can go actually to a meeting you could do it right now um so but having said that if you actually happen to be in ohio and uh you you actually think oh wow uh this jennifer person she really rings the bell with me um where are you guys in ohio tell us a bit about your institution yeah so we're in columbus ohio the capital of ohio um, and we are located right downtown. And, um, you know, we love visitors when we're not in COVID. So, but uh, you could definitely get in touch with, with, you know, myself if you were curious to know more about Heartland. Uh, we do have a website. It's um, heartlandhighschool.org. Um, you can learn about the staff, learn about what we do, uh, I think there might even be a virtual tour on there, I'm not sure if there is or not, but, but yeah, you can definitely check us out that way. Um, Cause our school is unique. You know, it's not, it's not your typical high school because we know that everybody learns at different levels and everybody's, you know, like when some of the kids come to us, they might be 17 years old and still be a freshman. Um, and so we, we work, everybody's, everybody's customized to their, their school level. Um, and like I said, I've got some kids that are in contemplation, some kids that are still struggling, some kids that are walking the path of recovery. And, and we work differently. You know, our numbers are small. Our school uh, has the capability of, of the space that we're in probably only holding up to 20 kids. Um, and right now our numbers are a little bit low just because of COVID, but you know, we're still working with the kids. I still go to their homes and drug screen them and, and, and make contact with them, um, you know, once a week. But, but like you were saying, we can go to meetings. You know, I've taken my students to meetings in Johannesburg, Africa. I mean, it's really cool. And we can go to one in Canada. We that's can go, you know, I mean, that's so wonderful because I'm from back when it said, you know, the level of press rating and films, like having an AA meeting online was not even a, a, a heard of thing. And then COVID hit and we had no other choice. We have to, we have to progress and evolve to survive. And, um, and it's been, for me, it's been the greatest thing that could have ever happened because I, I tell people all the time, like this week I went to a meeting in Denmark. Um, I, I've been to them in Ireland. I've, I've gone to them everywhere and it's amazing. And I can go to them 24 seven. There's a, there's a group called home, homegroup.org. And you can literally, it's 24 seven. You can find a meeting and there's a minimum. I mean, we're talking three o'clock in the morning. There can be 40 to 100 people on it. And how fantastic is that? Yeah. Like I have connected with people all over the world and I never even left my living room. Fantastic. I mean, it's, it's fantastic for me. So it's for, for me, I mean, a lot of people are saying, you know, I miss in person and, and I definitely do because, you know, we know that skin and touch and hugging and all of those things are healing. Um, but I just forced my daughter to hug me for more than 20 seconds so I can release the oxycodone, you know, the, 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 um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the oxytocin. 
Oxytocin. oxytocin. Yeah, I was like almost going to say something. Oxycodone. Yeah, that's like. <laughs> <laughs> but, but if you hug for more than 20 seconds, it actually releases that chemical. Uh, and so, you know, I, I have my mom, you know, when I see her once a week or, or my kid, and I'll be like, come on, just, I just need 20 seconds. So, you know, we can, we can still get what we need. But um, I've, I actually like the online meetings more because, you know, sometimes I'm in the middle of cooking dinner and I'm like, oh, I want to go to this meeting. And I, you know, bring my laptop into the kitchen and I'm making dinner and I'm on this, this women's meeting and I'm talking to women from, you know, Switzerland and Sweden and Germany and Denmark. And I'm like, it's just so cool. I absolutely love it. So for me, COVID in that way has been a blessing. It's been a blessing because I also teach my um, my fermenting classes online mm. and, and I wasn't able to do that before. Uh-huh. Um, it, for me, it's it's been a blessing in many ways. So, yeah. Oh, it's an absolute, uh, it's so beautiful, isn't it? It's so beautiful. It really Just is. listen, listen to you, Jennifer. You are, you are the embodiment of, of recovery. You have... You have come from a dark place. You got your shit together, and you are now buzzing with energy to go out there to to help people. It's uh, it puts a big, a stupid smile on my face to to feel your energy, which which comes through till here to New Zealand. For Christ's yeah. sake, this is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Now, so, guys, there is no reason for you not to follow in the footsteps of Jennifer and to check out what works, what doesn't work. So, you know, Columbus, Ohio, if you're in that area, well, there you go. Jennifer uh, and, and Heartland uh, might be exactly what you, what you want and what you need. Um, I've been in a, in a most beautiful place called Capri, which unfortunately is no longer in existence, but it had equally about that, that uh, kind of, of uh, occupancy, about 20 beds, and it was... I forged relationships there that that were weird and deeper than many other relationships I ever had, and it's it's probably it's you know you're you're in a battle, you're in a war, and and there are casualties, and we're all wounded, wounded warriors in that kind of a setting, and uh, in the in the around the smokers' corner, and in the in the <laughs> over the coffee pot and we're licking our wounds and to actually see that you're not the only one who is doing that, but to see how others are struggling and to, to see who is there. Because in my, in my rehab, people came from all walks of life, literally all walks of life. And I can very much assume that it's the same thing. Because mm-hmm. alcohol is a great solvent. It dissolves uh, marriages, bank accounts, and it's a great equalizer because it does not care where you come from, what's your color of skin, right. uh, isn't it? It is. Right. Is there a, a, a predominant? Um, how is Ohio from a from a uh, from a strata point of view? From a is it actually a rich uh, rich county in which you are? Or is it? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's the capital of Ohio. So the diversity here is amazing. Oh, beautiful. Um, you know, and, and, and we have OSU, you know, Ohio State. And so that's huge here in America. It's 
the football and all of that. Um, but but for me, it's the it's about the diversity. There's just so like our college, the the Ohio State College just literally brings everyone from all over the world, and so it's a very very diverse city um, and fast growing. You know, we're we're like any other big city. I mean, there's there's really rich parts and really not so rich parts. Um, I'm in a little, uh, the, the place where I live is called Upper Arlington, and it's it's one of the, the richer uh, cities within Columbus. Um, and the, so it's definitely um, different being here. You know, um, we moved here because we wanted our daughter to have the best education, and Upper Arlington has the better the best education out of all of the schools, all of the public schools. And I remember being really nervous because I'm um, a co-Girl Scout troop leader and and I have been for years. And so when I first started doing that, you know, I was really scared that like people are going to find out that I'm an alcoholic and they'll be like, oh my gosh, I don't want this black woman alcoholic driving my kid around. And, you know, I, I just had some fears and, and I didn't, I did not recover out loud. I was pretty secretive about my recovery just because I was afraid of all the judgment. And it came an opportunity. And I think it was after I started working for Heartland, there came an opportunity where I needed to, I needed to recover out loud because I was, you know, Heartland was on the news. Um, I was asked to speak at a, a stadium in front of thousands of people. Um, and so the word was getting out. I was in the local newspaper. I was on the local radio stations, like all these things because I was working for Heartland and I was the very first employee that they had. Um, and so, you know, people were asking questions and stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, my daughter's school's going to find out. Well, I was having, you know, parent-teacher conference and and talking to some of the teachers and the principal and, and stuff. And I, I explained that I was a person in long-term recovery and I was so, I would, like, my hands were sweating. I was so nervous. And they just welcomed it with open arms. There were several people that approached me and said they knew somebody that needed help. And, you know, so for me, that was like a, a turning point because I had been, at that time, I was sober for like 19 years and was really quiet about it. And it started to occur to me that being quiet, there may have been people suffering that really needed me and and needed that message given to them and by me keeping quiet because that's what I was taught in AA was to stay anonymous um I was really doing a disservice to the the growing recovery community and so I started recovering out loud and I am now on um Upper Arlington School Board Advisory Council because they needed a person with an addictions background to help with students that are struggling with recovery. Um, myself and the the local police officers are rewriting the Dare program, which the, uh, the Dare program here in America is is um, it's a program to help kids preventative with drugs. But it was written like like they had Dare when I was in school, and I've been out of school for thirty years. Like it, and, and they never rewrote it, so it's really outdated. So they we're working on updating that, making it more current. And um, I'm on the school board for the Association of Recovery High Schools that blankets across all of the recovery high schools in America. 
Um, you know, it's like, so just because I'm recovering out loud, by recovering out loud, now I've opened up these doors and there's so many more people that I can help. And um, so for me, it's just, it, it's a blessing. It's a blessing and it's amazing. Isn't it? Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing, recovering out loud. That is the true, the true giving back, the true sharing of, of stories. And suddenly other people are listening up and it's amazing who listens up. It is, you have no idea that people that you were looking up to and thought, wow, he's really good or she is really good, that they are the most they need. And I've seen that again and again. So it is beautiful to actually hear you coming out with this conviction of knowing deep inside that you're doing the right thing and being yeah. honest and being open and transparent, which is the absolute uh, opposite to the way we have been living as addicts. You you keep it in, in, in the quiet, in the secret. You want to pull the curtains. You, you do it all in your head and you, you convince yourself that no one ever notices what you're doing. Right. Well, it's the stigma. Yeah. For me, it's the stigma and, and it's the shame, you know, like saying that because I have this disease that I'm a bad person, but you know, you don't see people that, that are suffering from cancer or, or diabetes or, you know, any of those things of walking around with their heads down low thinking being, ashamed of what they have you know nobody nobody asks for this nobody says you know what instead of being successful with my life I think I'm going to go out and just completely destroy it and embarrass my family and make an ass out of myself and nobody does that I mean clearly we have an issue so so true so true yeah yeah guys you have heard it uh it Jennifer is it got her shit together I got my shit together. And if we two numb nuts can do that, then <laughs> there is still hope for you. Honestly, there is hope. Trust me. And it is, it is just give it a shot. What can you possibly lose, guys? What could you possibly, what could possibly go wrong? That you make a fool in, uh, out of yourself in front of someone in Denmark? Mm, 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 mm. Mm. Is that really so important? Okay. <laughs> and that's the amazing thing. Talk really about anonymity. Uh, this, I live in a, in a small town, and for me, in the immediate aftermath of rehab, I was asked to go to AA meetings. And I, it was a bit bizarre because I was so still worried at that time that, my God, I meet people that I actually know, or they, they, it comes out that I'm an alcoholic. It's all that kind of weird weird stuff was still going on in my in my head so I drove to other towns to attend meetings and <laughs> only down the line did I actually realize oh what a bollocks uh, and I was amazed the people who I met at meetings who suddenly you realize wow you're in a secret society uh, and there is a secret handshake kind of a thing of, of uh, over a coffee and it is it's bizarre it's bizarre it, it just shows how powerful this drug is the, the alcohol is yeah. okay uh, so therefore guys don't be ashamed don't don't feel uh, that oh my god you have done things that no one else ever has done out there 
There's so many of us who have done probably more than you and mm-hmm. worse than you, okay? Yep. So, whilst this is not a pissing contest, and it's certainly not a challenge, okay? Don't take that as a challenge out here. <laughs> but the challenge is for you to jump over your shadow and just go to a meeting, listen to a meeting. Yeah. You don't have to say a thing. You just listen on it online and listen what these guys are up to. Um, that's already a huge step. So guys, there's hope out there. Um, and Jennifer shows it in her daily life. I showed in my daily life. Give it a shot, eh? Jennifer, one parting question. If you had the ability to go back in time to talk to your younger self, what would you ask that younger self to do? Or what would you tell that younger, the younger yourself? I think that I would tell my younger self to be much more kind, much more kind to myself. You know, I I remember my mom saying to me years ago, I hope that you never treat your friends the way you treat yourself. Because I was just, the self-loathing was immense. I just, I, I, I I would try and teach myself how to love me because I think I probably wouldn't suffer nearly. I don't know that I would have not been an alcoholic, um, but I think that I wouldn't have suffered as greatly as I did if I didn't have the self-loathing. Yeah. Beautiful. And that's, that's the core of it all, isn't it? To, to, to shut up those voices that want to convince you that you're a piece of shit and that you're worthless and, and hopeless and, everything and you're your worst critic. So I agree a hundred percent with you. That's probably a key message I would love to send back as well. But I loved the way how you put it that you said kind, be kind to yourself. That's a wonderful, Mm -hmm. wonderful way of putting it rather than you have to love yourself because sometimes we don't know what love is and we don't know. But just to be gentle and be kind with ourselves is is a wonderful way of putting it. So Jennifer, I'm so grateful. I'm so humbled that that you came onto my show and I feel greatly, greatly honored that you shared your insights here. Thank you. Yeah, this was really nice. Really nice. Guys out there, please look after yourself. Make those right decisions. And every second gives you a new opportunity. So never stop, never give up, but always say, okay, the past does not equal the future. What can you do right now? Which decision can you do right now to to get yourself a little bit closer to the ultimate goal of living a, a, a happy life where you are absolutely in control or at least rolling with the punches but in a controlled way, because life throws you new challenges left, right, and center. So don't think for a moment that Jennifer and I are just this on this cloud nine, floating along in our zen-like state. <laughs> Shit, no. <laughs> Shit, no. I'm just waiting for the next disaster to happen. But it is, I still choose to right now have this really great talk with Jennifer and in doing so, hopefully planting the seed out there with you guys 
that life is beautiful and, and you can have a, a piece of this beautiful life as well. So Jennifer, again, thank you so much for coming onto my show and you guys out there. So much, Stefan. Uh, you look after yourself. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>